think a lot of what you and I are up to, Andrew, is that we're reconquering words that are either dirty words, people tell us, no, you can't use that word, it's so misunderstood, blah, blah, blah. But I think reconquering words and giving a new meaning actually works. It works okay, great. That's yeah. great. And, and your book is called uh, Synthism, Creating God in the Internet Age. So creating God, right? If God is the name of all our dreams combined into mm -hmm. one point. If the name of that is the God point, then I'd love to retake the word God and put it back into its historical setting where it was originally used, which was, was you know, ahead of the patriarch when we're moving is God, like the Ur father, the Ur patriarch there. And yeah. we have God as the other end. So you, you know, put God in the future, which God. is interesting. I think because because God is 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 usually considered the creator of the universe. So that in the past, right? And you're putting but that's just God that's in the just future. Christianity. Well, not even then. I mean, even the Bible doesn't claim that. The Bible claims no. created order in chaos. No, but the but the Bible chaos creates that God is the source of everything and and all that. Yeah, right? that's kind of rubbish. But Oh, they're mixing up God and goddess. If anything is the source of anything, that would be goddess. That's a, we, we come out of the womb. So mm -hmm. we consider the womb to be the source of everything. We talk about the source tied to the God concept is usually goddess for me. That's what's very popular with new age people because they're like goddess worshippers without being God worshippers. So I think you need both. You need to worship the Ur father and the Ur mother. You need mm -hmm. to worship the Ur patriarch and the Ur matriarch. That's what we always should do. And we always yeah. do. That's called religion. That's yeah. a whole point of religion. So we also retake the word religion here. So religion was another dirty word. And then we said, no, 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 no. Religion is a beautiful word. Go to etymology. Etymology, religare, French, Latin, medieval, meaning what connects people. Religion, mm -hmm. what connects people. It, it's, it has to do with healing. It has to do with connecting people together again as if they were split up. So... Mm -hmm. And we want to be connected with one another because we're a flock animal, we're tribal creatures. We want the congregation, the most mm -hmm. beautiful word to come out of the Abrahamic religions, congregation. We congregate, we build something together. That's what the tribe does. Mm -hmm. That's why I love the Holy Spirit in Christianity. I love anything that regards the congregation. So in the same. congregation, you generate the Holy Spirit. That's the beautiful sort of idea. That's what Jesus said. Jesus yeah. said in the Bible, he says that, well, after I've left, whenever you guys are together, two or more of you, believe it or not, including you and me, Andrew, right now, but whenever there are more than two of you together, that's where I'm at. That's God. Mm -hmm. that, that's what the Holy Spirit is. Shravo Shishik and I agree that we can save large parts of Christianity. We could potentially write the Third Testament. But if we write a Third Testament, we have to leave Jesus Christ on the cross. He died on the cross. That was the point. So father can go and die. So father and son are gone. And then we leave it to the community to be the community and to be divine. Okay, I'm trying to understand that because the father and son come together, you know, um, and disappear. And then you have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's well, the, the principal point, the theological is, idea here? Or? Yeah, but the point is this. Father and son was a brilliant idea because we know the tribe is led by the patriarchy. They pull us. Mm -hmm. Okay. The patriarch is the son. He's a grown-up man. We look up to him. All the little boys look up to him. They want to be like him. He's the chieftain and the priest at the same time. Okay? He's, mm -hmm. he's the benevolent tyrant, if you like so. Okay? Built on the King Solomon character in the Old Testament. That's the idea of Jesus Christ, the son. Okay, his father is the guy we don't see. Because to believe that we're going to follow him, there has to be direction towards a goal. That's mm -hmm. called the promised land. When Moses leaves Egypt. He takes the people 
Well, the, he takes the Hebrews to the promised land. Okay, the name of the promised land is God. That means the father figure as the father of the father. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's God. That's the father. So father is where we're heading. Son is who leads us. Mm -hmm. And spirit are who we become. Mm -hmm. You could perfectly well you say Bards and Sertikis travel mapping theory or travel anthropology based on modern data science based on how human beings function, based on the tribe of the 200, 250 people, the congregation as a model based on the tribe. Congregation yeah. basically is the one thing that unites family and tribe into one thing, okay? That congregation has to be on the move. Now, if we know this, if the sort of the mysticism is gone, and we know that we have to be on the move, and we know that we're nomadic and we're now moving into the future, it's along the time axis of moving these days, moving into the future. For the congregation to walk into the future, we still need this. And of course, we can tell the story the way Jordan Peterson does, that there's a father, that's the point where we're heading, the God point. Mm -hmm. There's a son who leads us to go there, the combination of priest and chieftain who leads us to go there. And then we are patient. And then, of course, at the back of it all, we have the matriarch. And the matriarch in Christianity is Virgin Mary with the Jesus child. Mm -hmm. So she becomes not only the child of Jesus because her son, is the son of God. That means if she's the mother to the son of God, she's the ultimate matriarch, meaning Virgin Mary walks at the very back, pushes us all forward. So then you get the Christian version of the patriarchy, matriarchy, tribal mapping model. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes perfect sense. It's a beautiful story. It's worked really well. It could still work if people still believe in it, but it not, it's not necessary to do it that way. And Shlava Shishik's, in my point, as sort of Christian or post-Christian, post-atheist, is essentially that we can create the story now knowing why we did that story in the first place. And then it happens when we go from the first to the second testament of the Bible, that happens when Jesus dies on the cross. When he dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple falls apart. Mm -hmm. When that falls apart, that means the two different sections of the inner sanctum of the temple are unified, meaning we as people get to look into where the mystics are at looking into what God really is. That God really yeah. is a story about our direction to make us survive and thrive and live whole and full lives. Okay. So that what is hidden becomes kind of revealed, something like that. Which is problematic because we live increasingly in a digital world today where everything becomes transparent. Everybody gets to know everything. And that's exactly what I'm telling people that it's important to create sacred spaces, for example, confession booths, mm -hmm. for example, places where you you know, work with Tantra, or you work with Ayahuasca, you work with modern spiritual practices, but you, you tie, the, you, you, you build the wall around it and say, okay, we turn off our smartphones, we turn off all the data flows so we can talk freely in this space. But at the end of the day, what's called mysticism, which is, this is knowledge that's taken you years to get. It is taking you years to understand. And mm. it's taking years to understand this must not be spread widely among people because they will misunderstand it. Okay, that's dangerous. If knowledge that cannot be understood gets out in the public, it will be completely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. The entire history of philosophy and theology is basically misunderstood today because it's reinterpreted as being symbolic. Words and names are being thrown around by people who simply haven't studied. They don't know what they're talking about. That is a big mistake. But that's basically a condition we live in at the moment. So if, it's, if, the, if the gene is out of the bottle, all we can do is to learn to know how the genie works and tame the genie and try to turn the genie to something that works to our advantage as humans. Yeah, so there is a very dangerous genie out of the bottle at the moment. Yes. And that seems to be clear. 
Well, my, what I'm working towards is basically to understand in a forgiving way what the Enlightenment did. And starting with the Frankfurt School in the 1930s, we started learning that being enlightened, living in a world that becomes coldly scientific, killing a lot of spirituality and killing even the human soul in the process, which we have to reinstate now, caused a lot of damage. That's a perfect example of, you know, all the knowledge was out there. Okay, but if all the knowledge was out there and the priests are now undressed and religion no longer has a sacred space, and that sacred space that should have existed has been completely corrupted, by the way, by pedophile priests and all kinds of things. Okay, we better let the air in, better let it all out, better get the genie completely out of the bottle, better even crush the bottle and throw it away so we then can deal with the genies. Okay, mm -hmm. that's where we're at. But I think we need to define new sacred spaces. And I think any private confession booth, any, any environment that requires a code of silence, mm -hmm. it should be celebrated. Um, and, and that we have to do that all over again. But the knowledge that is out already available to people have now to be explained. Means if it's out there, you can read it on Wikipedia, you can read it online, but you don't understand it. Okay, you need teachers to guide you through that, all that huge flow information, all the data, to guide you to understand it. And we have to work very quickly in doing that and go deeper. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the example I was thinking about in terms of the genie being out of the bottle is, um, you know, years ago, I, I started doing a Buddhist practice in, in, um, in Vajrayana tradition. And I had to do all of these sort of stage-by-stage -stage retreats. And uh, gradual, gra it was a gradual sort of learning process, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and then you would, then you would get the initiation. Uh-huh. And you would go on to do other stuff. And there would be another initiation. And it would go on and on and on. Um, uh, uh, until the end, theoretically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the stuff that they would be tra transmitting is now available everywhere on the internet. Um, yeah. So, so that's just an example. Yeah, and that's causing a lot of havoc. We have to get used to that. We have to get used yeah. to the fact that we're living increasingly in a transparent world where everything is being memorized. Mm -hmm. oh. yeah. So I, I'm not naive about that. In that way, I can see Enlightenment project coming from the West, uh, hitting the world over the last 100 years uh, was a good thing in the sense that, okay, it's all out now. It's all out now. Basically, it's, all it's, all, it's wildly misunderstood, um, tragically misunderstood, mm -hmm. meaning we have to re-understand the fundamental axioms. We, we have to re-understand religion. We have to retake the word God. We have to give it a new meaning that makes sense to us now. Uh, oh, and I'm not post-atheistic in the sense that well, we can use the word God symbolically or something like that. I'm not ironic at all about anything I do. I'm not ironic. I'm not an ironic Christian like Jordan Peterson. I refuse to go ironic about what I do. I'm against irony in this sense. No, I am a big proponent of the potential of tribal anthropology towards understanding what it means to be human mm -hmm. and to be tribal. And to reinstate that today, to regain a confidence in the tribe. Because if we okay. don't have a confidence in the tribe, we cannot have a confidence in the nation. And if we don't have a confidence in the nation, we cannot have a confidence in the empire that the internet is going to force us to live under. Okay, so that's a good maybe segue into talking about another taboo word that we want to introduce here, and that is communism. Yeah, <laughs> the, the most taboo word, perhaps, in the West, and uh, 
and the second most taboo being capitalism, which is interesting. So there you go. But yeah, yeah let's let's talk about capitalism and communism more than anything. So, um, so you're pretty critical about uh, of individualism, and uh, I guess there's different. Uh, well, I, you know, we talked about Peterson, of course, Jordan Peterson, and he talks about individual sovereignty of the individual and all that is what is the primary thing to link us to the community. It's and so because it's not a it's not a and Randian type of individuality. It's it's more about just personal integrity being the first step. Uh, leading to, you know, taking responsibility and all that. So, you know, which is kind of stuff he says over and over again. Yeah, well, but we are not individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're, we're not, not individuals. Okay. If you put God as an old man sitting on a cloud looking at us when nobody else likes us any longer, so you've got an old man liking our Instagram accounts or whatever God's supposed to do. Well, there wasn't the God there. That wasn't the point with God to begin with. That God's dead. I mean, you can certainly play atheism on that God. Right? Mm -hmm. The same thing here. The individual does not exist. Mm -hmm. The point with individuals means it's based on the wrong assumption of what it means to be human. When Descartes put okay. his little individual inside a gland in your brain. Yeah. Smart so the, and the atomistic, uh, atomistic individual doesn't exist. What about the soul? You mentioned the soul earlier. Does the soul well, exist or? or? Well, soul is a word we have for the emotional and intellectual inside of a human being, whether it's conscious or not. I think the word consciousness, again, is an American buzzword that Americans love to use. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm conscious all the time. Most of the time I'm not. So I don't care about consciousness. I care about the human soul or psyche, as it's called in Greek. Mm -hmm. Okay. The psyche, that, that is your inner world. That, 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 that is a world that certainly exists that your brain makes up or you know, your body makes up this world, focusing on the brain and the nervous system. Orientate itself around the, you know, in the world, but we are deeply social beings from the, from the day we're born. If you leave a baby without physical contact, it, it will die from oxytocin lack. You know, it's just, it's just mm. die if we're not hugging with babies. We're incredibly social. We're not polar bears. If I was writing books for polar bears, <laughs> I would say you can be an individual. You can eat your own kids if you uh, like. Polar bears are individuals, but human they beings. They are individuals, but we're not. Human <laughs> okay. beings are not. It's just a fact of life. It's just okay. science truth, right? So yeah. the question is rather, why do Americans hang on to individualism as strongly as they do? Because Cartesianism is the American state religion. It is the religion on which America was built. And that's why you go to churches in America and you pretend you're other religion, you pretend you're Lutheran Americans or Catholic Americans or Buddhist Americans and all that. And every damn American I meet talk about individuality and the sovereign individual all the time. That is your real religion in America. Okay. Interesting. I was just listening to Jordan Peterson talk and he says he's not an individual in the Anne Randian sense. He's an individual in the, in the Kantian sense. That's what he said. So that, that's, that's maybe... Well, um, yeah, but Kant was Cartesian. Yeah. Okay. Immanuel Kant perfected Cartesianism. So I always claim, read Descartes, read Kant. They write brilliantly and they were great philosophers, but they created a religion called individualism. And that's tied yeah. to atomism in physics, which is also now failed as we discovered physics doesn't work according to atomistic principles. The particles... Okay made up by us when we crush with the fields, okay? And the nation, okay? Those three ideas, the individual and atomism and nationalism are tied together. You can even touch capitalism to them if you like to. But 
But these are the isms. The, this is one ideology. There's one ideology written. Whether you call it socialism or you call it uh, liberalism or call it conservatism, doesn't matter. But you put socialism one, as part of that same ideology. One meta ideology. And that meta ideology we can call Cartesianism, perfected by Kantianism. You could call Cartesianism Kantianism. Immanuel Kant did that beautifully. But if you like Jordan Peterson, stop at Immanuel Kant. Okay? And you don't realize that there was a revolution that happened only a few years after Kant that started with Hegel. Then you have completely missed out on the last 200 years of European philosophy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Completely. Okay, nobody's a Kantian in Europe anymore. It doesn't exist. Why? Because the Hegelian revolution kickstarted what later became Nietzsche and Freud and Jung, these guys that Jordan Peterson loves. But since Jordan doesn't get Hegel, that connects Kant with the other guys. He's so missing he Hegel. His understanding of philosophy. Because without understanding Hegelian dialectics, you don't understand how these guys think and why they reached the conclusions they did and how useful it is today. And Shlavo Shishik and I have both been saying for the past 15 years, we need a massive return to Hegel to understand the current predicaments we're stuck with. Mm -hmm. And that can set us free to then go into dialogue with the East, say China and India, to then create an ideology. Yeah. Internet protocol has already created the empire. That's what we claimed in our book, The Global Empire mm -hmm. 2003. Mm -hmm. Empire is already a fact, it's already here. It's technological, it's not economical, it's technological. It already exists. Mm -hmm. We are now seven billion confused bodies tied to one thing that knows what it's doing. This gene has come out of the bottle, it's called the internet, it's mm -hmm. called digital. We better get used to it, we better understand it, we better see how it functions, and we better understand that most of what we've done so far for the last 20 years has been terrible mistakes in children's diseases. You know, influencers on Instagram, bad idea. It's not going to work. It's uh, not going to, just another Ponzi scheme. Among all the other Ponzi schemes, the internet's been for the first 20 years. And we're still going to have to learn from that 10 years until some people finally start figuring out what digital really is. And the one thing it is, is that it's an empire. Okay, it's an empire and we cannot even get along inside our own nations. America is about to go move towards civil war. Okay, China is really risky too. You know, if Putin dies in Russia, Russia falls apart. The European Union is falling apart. None of these systems are stable. They're all built on nationalism. Not even nationalism holds up today. If not even nationalism holds up, then what the heck are we going to build the next system on? We have a, a world chaos system. We have a great chaos. We're exactly mm. like you were before the French Revolution, 1789. This is mm. all back to the mid-1700s again. The new forces are in play. Then people learn how to read and write and count, and that created massive amounts of energy and eventually exploded because these new energies were misunderstood by an old elite who were corrupt and fat and didn't get what was happening. They were called the nobility, the monarchy, and mm. church at the time. And mm. they were all blown up and blown apart because of it. The same thing is going to happen now with politicians, with academics, and with traditional uh, business and, and finance. Okay? They're mm. all going to be blown up by the new force of digital. That means a new chaos will be around. We'll all value the order of the chaos more than anything, meaning if the order does not arrive on time, then we'll look for any order, meaning we're going to mm. go for fake fallacies, dictatorships, yeah. authoritarianism on a massive scale. That's how we human beings react when God is not present. When there's only chaos, when there's only uh, God, no God. We react by where the fuck is the direction? Where is the God point we should move towards? Who leads us there? Where's the father? Where's so the maybe children do or something. That's, I, was, you know, I was writing this article about Greta. It's like people are 
people are getting kind of weird and cultish in all kinds of ways and they're with a little girl who's 16 years old worshiping children and and uh you know acting yeah um, what does she know she knows nothing yeah like i said the other day but you know like, you know the hc anderson saga about the little child who exposes the emperor for being naked mm-hmm. right i said the other day it, it's this time around it's so weird that it's time for the emperor to step forward and tell everybody the child is naked mm-hmm. but children are naked they know nothing poor greta she knows nothing yeah and she's being idolized it's it's scary it's really scary but okay let's go back to the words we're going to reconquer okay we reconquered god we reconquered religion we own those words again the beautiful words yeah i'm same waiting to build up the communism yeah uh-huh. same thing with com- communism is a beautiful word i'm not a socialist i'm a communist okay you know Can what? You firstly distinguish between those two things because i think you tied yeah, well, no, well, okay. but i'm going to point out Karl marx was not a socialist Karl marx was the communist Mm-hmm. Brandon O'Neill, another friend of ours in the UK, follow Brandon, whatever you do, read Spike Online every day. It's one of the best news sources out there you can get right now. Love Brandon to death. Brandon and his team over at Spike Online are great. Brandon O'Neill, like me, is what you call a Marxist libertarian, meaning he's a communist, but not a socialist. Okay. That's what Marx was too. That's what Karl Marx is so important. Mm-hmm. Okay. So commune is the name for human beings coming together. It's of course, another name for the tribe. Or the congregation. Yeah. It's our human beings collaborating, not competing, collaborating towards creating shared value. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. The Soviet Union was not communist. Mm-hmm. Mao's China was not communist. Mm-hmm. They were well, Stalinist and Rousseauian. You know, they, 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 they were Rousseauian empires. They were not communist. Communism hasn't happened. Okay. The reason why communism hasn't happened is something Marx warned about. He said, if you try to create communism and reinstate from the top when the time is not right for it, you will fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true that that uh, the Marx thought that communism would develop in in the in, uh, in a more liberal democracies, right? It's like yeah, first you need to try to instill communism into a into a into a place that the ground was not fertile as a. Yeah, the point is this. Communism can only be developed when the time is right. And what Marx celebrates is the proletarian. We call this guy the netocrat in our books because the time has come for the netocrat now historically. The netocrat is the guy who writes on the digital and then becomes a winner on the digital, right? Okay, There's that's a bit confusing, but, right? Because we think of the proletariat as like the working poor. And, and no, it's what you not talk about, what you talk about the red marks. I told you the genius out of the bottle. People guess what Marx said and they don't even read the guy. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Don't do that. Go to the sources, read the guys. Karl Marx loves the capitalist. He loves the fact that capitalists can make a mark on the world and on history. And he says the proletarian is simply the guy who does it better than the capitalist. And the way the proletarian does it better than the capitalist is simply because the capitalist is a Cartesian Kantian individual mm-hmm. who tries to compete with everybody else and gets ahead by making the most money. So he hasn't tapped into the source uh, and power of the, of the tribe yet. So, so exactly. Speak. Meaning if you can use technology to collaborate better, rather than just getting ahead of everybody else and making more money okay so if you try to use collaboration in the best way possible which is possible today because of the machines that are arriving 
Mm-hmm. The machines are going to create the communist paradise, if anything, or at least they should, right? That means you create the ultimate environment for collaborative efforts between human beings. Mm-hmm. That beats the shit out of capitalism. Marx never said we should go on a revolution and kill the capitalist. He never said that. No, he said what we should be. Didn't he talk about the dictatorship of, of uh, what dictatorship of the proletariat and all that? Like. Well, the, what have we lived in for the past hundred years? The dictatorship of capital. Mm-hmm. Marx, there are only dictatorships. Mm-hmm. The question is who dictates? Everything mm-hmm. is dictation. Everything is power. Everything is okay. about who So dictates. all of these all of these phrases and things that we think about in terms of Marx are actually sort of the dictatorship of the proletariat is not the opposite of the democracy of the people. That's a silly idea. The democracy of the people did, did hardly existed as a concept in the 1830s and 1840s. Well, when I hear dictatorship of the, the, the proletariat, I think of a lot of people violently rising up to, to kill the people in power, you know? So. Well, can you read Marx, please? That's not what he writes about. Yeah. Sorry. I've read some Marx. Yes. Okay. Okay. But Brandon has read Marx, so have I. And we're Marxists. And, and the point here with Marx is, is that Marx, you have to have Marx to compliment Nietzsche. Uh-huh. Because you end up with Jordan Peterson if you only read Nietzsche and skip Marx. You end up as some kind of round in anyway. Because with mm-hmm. Nietzsche, you get the completion of the celebration of the Cartesian Kantian individual. Nietzsche okay. calls and you don't have a you right? don't have a vision for the for the commune, for the common or, or for no such thing. Nietzsche is the individual, the ultimate individual, the, the ubermensch, the aristocrat, as it calls him, yeah. this guy who creates his own values and steps out into the world and becomes godlike. Okay? Yeah. Brilliant, great stuff. Okay, I'm a Nietzschean, absolutely. But next to Nietzsche, you need Marx, because if you don't have Marx, I start from Marx today, how the hell are we going to read history about how the tribe can become heroic? Mm-hmm. The heroic good. congregation from Christianity, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Is exactly what Marx writes about. And what Marx says that if it's not in the afterlife, it's the current life, which actually is what Christianity claims too, because the heroic congregation. But Marx also did say, I, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here, he did say that religion is the opiate of the people and, and all that. He didn't, he didn't mean opium in abuse. Anti religious. He meant religion he? positively. What? He didn't mean it as an opiate abuse. Everybody took opium in the 1830s, 1840s. It wasn't abusive at the time. Nobody thought of it as abuse. He meant religion is comforting for people as a narrative story so they mm-hmm. can do what they're supposed to do. He didn't have a problem with religion. Marx mm-hmm. didn't have a problem with religion. He didn't have a problem with liberalism. He didn't no, have a problem with liberalism. He had no, read Grundrisse, he read his works. Yeah. It's not there. He basically, in parallel with Nietzsche, developed, they're all Hegelians. They came out of Hegel. In, in yeah. parallel with Nietzsche, developed the idea of the heroic community. It's built on the Christian congregation as ideal. Okay, can we distinguish the heroic community from the identity tribe, like in all of these, you know, because we're, I think we're both, we both with Peterson on, on his attack of uh, identity um, politics and social justice warriors yeah. and, and all that. We're against Rousseau. The only yeah. problem with Jordan is he hasn't named Rousseau yet. Uh, it's just like, if anything, Shishik and Peterson should go to the roots of their opposition. They got a shared opposition called social justice warriors today. Well, they're everywhere. They own the administrations of academics and, and they run all over the place in politics at the moment and they're terrible. Okay, social justice warriors are all Rousseauians. Mm-hmm. 
mm. and if the liberals, they're Lockeans, okay? Locke and Rousseau claim we're all born with a blank slate. Yeah. So you can do anything with any human being. We're all the same, or if we're all the same and we're just blank slates, you can basically reinforce any idea you want on the human body and the human soul. That's Rousseau for you. That's what social justice warriors think. That's exactly why I don't care what you say, because they only count who speaks and how many minutes did you get of attention. That's a childish level of their own. Now, okay, Peterson and Shishik should go to the roots of where that comes from. If Peterson says it comes from Marx, he hasn't read Marx at all. He hasn't understood Marx. He, why would Marx even write in that case? Because Rousseau did that 100 years before him. The problem is that Marx was completely opposed to Rousseau. Mm -hmm. And the political left in Europe was basically a civil war between Marxists and Rousseauans throughout the 19th century. And then mm -hmm. some clever anarchist guy, the really interesting answer, uh, Kropotkin. Okay. But eventually, we arrive with the struggle between Marxists and Rousseauans. And Lenin makes the mistake of reinforcing the Russian Revolution too early and not waiting for the proletarian to step forward, but try to tame Russian peasants and put them in colchosis and making Lenin himself the only proletarian. That's a terrible mixture of Nietzsche and Marx that didn't work. It's called Leninism. Mm -hmm. And even Lenin knew that even worse would come. He warned about Stalin. And by the time Stalin takes over, then you get the Soviet Union. You get the massacres, the Ukrainians. You get totalitarianism, you get the collectivism. That was Stalinism. There's mm -hmm. none of that in Karl Marx, please. Yeah, so it's There's not Karl big, Marx. Big, big difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm still, I'm still pushing you on this just a little bit because in that, when you look at the countries that call themselves communists, that call themselves yeah. Marxists, it seems that they, they've created the biggest hells on earth. Why, would you agree with that? And, and well, Okay, Pol Pot in Cambodia mm -hmm. did his PhD at Sorbonne in France in the 1960s on Rousseau, not mm -hmm. Marx. Mao Zedong never even read Marx, okay? He read little fairy tale books about old Chinese emperors and wanted to be one of them. Maoism is Rousseauanism, mm -hmm. definitely. And Pol Pot went to Cambodia and they're all, they're all uniting around something to hate. The easy route to get popularity is to find something to hate, the way social justice warriors do today. Mm -hmm. We hate the white heterosexual man. Now we're unified because we have an abject we can hate and that unifies us. Hitler did it with a Jew, Rousseau. Stalin did it with the Kulaks of Ukraine, Rousseau. Mao did it you know, with anybody who wasn't with him, basically. And Pol Pot basically started killing anybody who wore glasses. Intellectuals, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that is Rousseauanism. It's nothing to do with Marx. Sorry, but it doesn't. Okay. And I think, I think the time for Marxism has come now. Mm -hmm. And I want to unify Christianity, whatever got left of it, and understanding the dynamic of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why mm -hmm. that was, and Virgin Mary, by the way. See how tribal that was, why it worked. Mm -hmm. Take the best out of that so we can make that work again. Maybe that could be a Third Testament, if you like, if you want to do... Christian theology, then you would definitely work on that Third Testament, which is tribal anthropological understanding of Christianity. Now that leads you on to communism, because communism is the same idea. We're going to go somewhere, and the name for the commune in the Bible is called the Promised Land. Hmm. Communism is the journey towards the Promised Land. Now, okay. you must not go in the wrong direction when you do that. Yeah. And that's exactly why Soviet Union was the wrong direction. It wasn't the Promised Land. Most China was the wrong direction. It wasn't the promised land. So what's the right direction? What's the promised land? 
My answer to that is, the, is exactly our most urgent need today. And I start with Simon Critchley, a friend of mine. Everybody read Simon Critchley. One of the best philosophers around at the moment. British philosopher, resides in New York. Um, he's got the Hannah Arendt chair at the New School professor there. He's a brilliant writer, okay? But he's written books on the infinite demand of the stranger. And he builds on two of the best uh, European thinkers, two French Jews. Uh, well, actually, one is French Algerian, one is French But they were called Derrida and Levinas. Okay, mm -hmm. you read Jacques Derrida and you read Levinas. Those two philosophers talk about the infinite demand of the stranger, meaning the biggest challenge in our time is what Sudeikis and I call intertribalism. Intertribal is easy. Intra-tribal, meaning to love people within your own tribe. You're born to do that. Right? You're born to love the people around you. You're born to love your 200 most cherished friends in your life. That's easy. Yeah. At least keep on doing that, okay? If you have a problem with your family, you're really fucked up. So, you know, stay with your family, stay with the tribe, build from that, so you can then encounter strangers without wanting to kill them. Okay, that's called intertribal. And what the priesthood has always done throughout history is try to nudge us one bit further towards loving a stranger that's even more exotic than the previous strangers that we love. We started with the villages in the river valleys 5,000 years ago. The bloodiest part of human history was 5,000 years ago when we killed anybody in the next village if we had starvation. Okay, that had to stop. So we built ritual places between the villages. Mm -hmm. The priests walk up these cigarettes and declare basically the religion of one village and the religion of the next village is actually the same religion. It's the same okay. patriarch. We just call so, him God. It's kind the of early, early diplomacy uh, uh, or something like that. Shared interests, shared interests. Uh -huh. okay. So religion declares these two villages have a shared interest. Don't kill each other because if you both survive and we create a more sustainable society, so we don't have to kill each other, then we can all prosper. We have a shared interest, a shared goal, a shared God, a shared direction. That's what religion has to do. So then we could create periods of peace by declaring monotheistic religions or polytheistic religions in India, the same thing anyway, two different levels. But, 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 but we created these theistic religions so that we could unify through narrative by having a shared God. Mm -hmm. that, that's why these exoduses are in the Bible. You know, it's Moses and the promised land. And then it's the exodus out of Babylon towards Jerusalem, which is the first rise of the nation state, the rise of the nation of Israel, coming out of an empire called the Persian Empire. So we should study empire, we should study nation, because now we have to move people from nation to empire, and we only have one way of doing that, and that name is machine intelligence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what the machines are here. Mm -hmm. They're our only hope. We can create communism through the machines, but if we don't try to create communism through the machines, what the hell are we going to do? Not that capitalism offers you anything, because it doesn't. Not that Jordan Peterson's American individualism offers you anything. It offers you absolutely nothing. It just offers you the same consumer society bullshit you've been offered for the past 100 years. Eat more, drink more, consume more, work harder, consume more. It's, it's, just, it's just nonsense. We're moving towards a society with 100% psychiatric diagnosis. And it's like, doesn't that scream there's something wrong here? Capitalism is a dead end. Mm -hmm. Gilles Deleuze and, and um, Félix Guattari wrote some brilliant books in the 1970s following Jacques Lacan. One is called Anti-Oedipus, the other one is called Thousand Plateaus. And the subtitle for the books is Capitalism and Schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. 
So they're arguing that capitalism would lead to schizophrenia. What then I discovered in the 1990s was that the internet helped us do exactly that. The internet oh, yeah. is itself a schizophrenic medium. Yeah. It's whacked and schizophrenic. It's a huge cuckoo's nest, seven billion people screaming at the top of the lungs. No one is listening to anybody. I, I, no I, got one, works, right? I want to bring that up one level and say that God is actually schizophrenic in, in that sense, right? If that's the so God, if, yeah. If, but if the okay. internet is God, then God is, is, is schizophrenic. Yeah, but not the contemporary internet. We need an exodus. You, Andrew, you pointed it out. Yeah. The exodus we have to write about and study and create a narrative for is the exodus out of the current internet chaos into an exodus toward the internet order. Mm -hmm. And that internet order is not the Chinese Communist Party dream of a sociocracy ruled by one party. That's the nightmare. But sociocracy, if it decentralized, could definitely be that. So say you're a hacker today working on decentralized platforms, and you know, sociocracy, meaning there's sensors everywhere, and the sensors are going to register everything we do. We're going to live in a sort of mass behaviorist society, register everything we do, knowing everything about ourselves. We can even go and ask the machines, what is the next thought I'm going to have? And the machine will tell us what will be our next thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's going to happen soon, right? Okay, relax. Okay, if we pull this off, we can save the climate. We can stay on the planet. We can probably create a sustainable system. We even can avoid the next ice age. So we can keep 10 billion people on the planet for the foreseeable future. It is or not, we don't know yet. We're probably going to go in and, you know, start fiddling around with our genes soon as well. And hopefully at least create something better and more sustainable than we are right now. But this whole move is the move towards communism. Yeah. So you're talking geoengineering on, on a massive scale and, and yes. you, also, you also just mentioned, uh, you know, tampering with the DNA and, you know, already uh, happening. And so, so you can, you can see how that might, uh, and then you're, 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 um, you're linking that to communism. You see yeah. how you see how that those ideas might make some people a bit hysterical. Yes. Yeah. Which is why I'm saying you need to go back and revisit 1945 and rewrite history. We have so much shit to deal with we never dealt with in 1945. Nick Land is a very controversial philosopher, but a genius. Okay, he's only published fragments and a couple of books so far, but he's my generation. So Simon Critchley, Alexander Bard, Nick Land, read all three. Okay, we're very connected. Nick Land, like me, is a Delusian, and he sits in Shanghai in China. He left the West and moved to the East. Listed with his family, a happy guy, you know, met him last year, sat down with him and talked to him. And Nick Lund says the most important thing, why it's so controversial is that we never dealt with 1945 properly because we turned Adolf Hitler into the ultimate evil, like metaphysically evil. Mm -hmm. Then Hannah Arendt tried to make us understand, well, that's not actually true. Okay? Banality of evil. Banal to begin with. So mm -hmm. it's not metaphysical. Okay, it's very concrete. But... By turning Adolf Hitler into something very not nuanced, but into ultimate evil, we allowed ourselves to just say, I'm not Hitler, and suddenly you were yeah. allowed on the stage, right? Meaning we created enormous mediocrity. We live in a society of mass mediocrity today. Because we're not willing to look at our own, uh, let's say, inner Hitler or our own darkest parts of our soul? No, or, or, no, 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 no. We, don't, we don't understand that the world is complex and things are nuanced. And, and Hitler can be understood as a little boy pharaoh who should never have had power in the first place. On the other hand, he wrote the books, he wrote in the 1920s, he did everything in public, and the Germans loved him, meaning we have to be scared of ourselves. The German people were evil if anybody was evil in 1938, okay? Mm -hmm. German culture has dealt a lot with that. They still haven't gone to the real depth of it. The rest of us have to deal with it too, but not in time to find our shadow and get the evil out of us. No! 
There is no evil. There is no good. There's just constructive and destructive ideas. Mm-hmm. You mean there's no absolute... Are you saying there's no, like there's no plata- platonic model of evil and no absolute... No. Platonic. Is that what you're saying? Nietzsche and Marx never talk about good and evil. That's why they're brilliant. Hegel doesn't talk about good and evil. Good and evil were thrown out when we threw out the model Kant out of Western philosophy. Okay? Mm-hmm. Point being, you either have a short-term plan and you try to grab whatever you can grab for your own good. That's American individualism for you. You might grab what is good for your nuclear family. That's even more American, but that's how far you go. Anything else, you shoot them with a gun, right? Okay, that's a very, very narrow-minded perspective. No wonder America has done more to destroy the climate on this planet than anybody else ever did, okay? Mm -hmm. So the sustainable model is prioritizing constructive mindset. And I go to ancient Persian philosophy or Zoroastrianism, because in Zoroastrianism, the ethics is very simple and straightforward, but absolutely brilliant. Your two concepts, Asha and Druy. Druy is to have a very short-sighted, destructive mentality. Meaning, I'll grab whatever I can grab and I'll grab it now. Hmm. Okay, then you kill yourself or somebody kills you very soon. Nothing's going to work. You're not going to have a civilization that way. But that is essentially what American individualism is, right? Uh, the alternative to Druze is Asha, which is that, okay, I extend myself as far as I possibly can to look at the long-term effects, meaning we're not dealing with climate change, really. Climate's always changed. We're dealing with avoiding the next ice age 20,000 years from now. Okay, so we need to create climate-controlling technologies. Otherwise, we, we're smoked anyway. So we might as well do that. So that is Asha. And Asha is related to Tantra, because mm-hmm. Tantra is like a life school coming out of India and Tibet that meets with Persian China. And Tantra teaches you if you prolong things and, and, and stay with something instead of taking the reward instantly, mm-hmm. you'll get paid yeah. off much better in the end. That's basically investment theory. Invest in the future, invest in your children, invest in your grandchildren. That is Asha in Persian philosophy. And it's a brilliant way of looking at the world. So instead of good and evil, we should look at Asha and Druid. And if you discuss Adolf Hitler, well, he talked about the thousand year Reich, but it was obvious he would last at the most 11 years and then kill himself from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Nazism was nothing but a death cult. Platonistic death cult. Okay. What we're talking about here is called communism. It's the exact opposite. It's the ultimate God point into the future, the ultimate promised land we have to get. And if we don't get there, we're not going to survive. It really is a call for an exodus. And that exodus is we need to leave things as they are now and move all of society using technology towards society where technology helps us loving the stranger. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's going to be incredibly hard for us to do. We're going to do everything we can to protest. So we have to remind people, causing no, 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 there's no way. You've got to love the stranger because we're all going to be one people on this planet, seven or 10 billion of us. And we need to make this planet work because we don't have anywhere else to go. There's nothing else but coldness and rocks out there. No life, nothing else. This is all we have. We saw it in 1958. We saw the picture of this planet. It was blue and green. We loved it ever since. This is the only thing we have. Hmm. So I like very much the ethic of, of love the stranger. I mean, there's probably a naive yeah. side to that, which could be dangerous, but at the same time, that seems to be the right ethic, isn't it? I mean, the Absolutely. right moving forward, the only, forward the ethic. Chris has done great work in this department. I'm going to use him a lot. I've used him in the past. Before we wrote synthesis, 
Critchley wrote a book called The Faith of the Faithless, where he discussed pure faith as a concept. Beautiful book on the book on passion, the book of faith. Alan Badiou is a French thinker. He's also written a lot about the event. He's thinking a lot about people who commit themselves to something. He writes about love as an act of commitment. Okay, true commitment, not like getting married and swearing oaths or anything, but like I'm committed to an idea, I'm committed to my truth. I'm acting yeah. on the truth. If Jordan Peterson had studied Alan Badiou, who would have found an ally all along. Maybe she should point him in that direction, okay? So there's been a lot of thinking coming out of what I would call communist thought out of Europe for the past 50 years, but communism has been a bad word because Stalin and Mao, you know, made it dirty. Time to retake the word. Shishik is a communist. I'm a communist. Retake the word because the only gold point we can have for civilization to make this planet survive, at least as humans, is communism. There is no other alternative. That's essentially what the internet is trying us to do. It's trying us to turn us into communists. Mm-hmm. And instead of a well, flash, because... that is an internet that has to have, it has to be an internet that has to have hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So the hierarchies are already now maturing. They're called nodes. Okay. And the so algorithm- no, nodes are hi- hierarchy. According to you, nodes are hierarchies within co- co- communist. Um, like, I'm, my question is like, how, how does hierarchy fit within communism? Because, you know, uh, we would, we would think that co- a communist vision would be a, a non-hierarchical vision, right? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I know you were going to say no, but, but I, that's just how people think of communism is, is that we flatten out inequality and everybody, no, no, you know, wait, we have wait a second, wait a second. silly Karl idea, Marx, right? Karl Marx says there's nothing wrong with the capitalist. Let's just beat him at his own game. And he says, the proletarian has to be better than the capitalist creating value. If the proletarian through his mm-hmm. community does not create a higher value for people than the capitalist and his market does, does on his own, then communism is worthless. Then it then it's failed, okay? So there has to be a higher value. And because we're tribal, mm-hmm. and we now have technologies that make us even more tribal, it can extract value out of tribalism, meaning mm-hmm. you can create communities or teams who do brilliant work together. We call them corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? Again, congregation, corporation, okay. So that is what communism does. And of course, what I'm saying is I'm not gonna force you to become a communist. I'm just gonna tell you that unless we become communists, we don't have anywhere to go. It's the only order we can have in the chaos. Uh, and that's the way to go forward. But of course, communism will be offered. Do you wanna join or not? Do you wanna be part of this? Or do you wanna shit or consume and be fucked up and go to see your therapist five times a day and go to the gym every day and hate yourself or whatever you're doing now because the existential the existential malaise we've arrived at is exactly where capitalism would take us this would the lesson Guattari prophetically said 50 years ago before the internet arrived and said no 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 no, no. capitalism is only going to lead to mass schizophrenia Mm-hmm. It, that, that is chaos. Schizophrenia is a word for it, internal chaos. Now, if you want to get order in your head, have an order instead of chaos. Mm-hmm. You've got to get a direction to your own life. Yeah. Your direction, according to Heidegger, is toward, towards the moment when you die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you die is the moment when everything that happened before that moment guts its value. So you sort of throw yourself to the moment when you're going to die, where you hopefully you become a whole human being, you lived a full life, there's nothing else for you to do, and then you throw yourself back to the current moment and everything in your life at this very moment gets its value because of it. That is the same idea as the communist idea. The communist idea is basically, think of communism as a world with intense creativity, constant experimentation, constant renewal. Again, Persian philosophy, Harvata, renewal. 
It's not a Platonistic fantasy that's a perfect world because perfection is just dead, okay? It's an imperfect world that constantly renews itself. That principle goes hold about talking Persian philosophy. So that's the communist ideal I'm for. I'm like a Zoroastrian communist, if you like, okay? So we, we, if you have that communist ideal in your mind, suddenly everything you do today, politically, spiritually, career-wise, relation-wise, starts to make sense. It gets meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and if you try to find meaning in the individual, you're, you're, you're you know, you're. We tried that for 400 years. Get over it's it. A lonely ex it's a lonely, it's a lonely exercise. So you're, it's like. Are you going to be another one of these guys who write only sales pitch newsletters all the time? We hate you. We hate these people. We hate the individuals today. We can't stand them any longer. We're tired of the narcissism. We're tired of the people who put things out that to be liked and to, to be shared. We're tired of that. We want a proper social dialogue on how we're going to proceed and what we're going to do next. And we'll listen to each other if we take if we take knowledge to heart and if people study hard. We want to listen to teachers now. We we'll listen to people who study really hard to explain to us what they found so we can make up our own minds and we can know where to go to study on our own. It's back to the books. That's what it's all about now. So it's, it's kind of like... Uh utopianism mixed with with traditionalism in a way like it's it's like you have to have a tradition right you have to you have to be studying yeah. different traditions right yes you, you can't just tradition be, is the work you can't be just making where it do up, you come making it up as you go no. on like that's the 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 darkness of the Rousseauian vision right it's like like um the child is already you're already good just the way you are right whereas yeah that's that's kind of that's exactly why Rousseauans tell the kids to kill their parents. That's exactly the Chinese cultural revolution. There is nothing Marxist at all about the Chinese cultural revolution. It screams Rousseau. It is the ultimate Rousseauian nightmare. Mm -hmm. And it happened in China in the 1960s, okay? If that happened in China, what the heck has that got to do with Marxism or communism? Nothing. Mm -hmm. So- We have to rewrite history and we have to rewrite it Starting with Stalin and Hitler, yeah, they were very destructive, both of them. They were little boys who were running little empires and they were running it through hatred. Yes, but we don't understand ourselves and we don't write that history properly in detail because we cannot map ourselves otherwise. The extreme danger at IC is a sort of, as you say, infantilization rather yeah. than, than getting deep into the, into the tradition, into the, the thought, into the idea. People are just, people are just attaching themselves to any kind of, whatever node it would be, like this negative tribalism. Well, what happened was that, um, it's not even tribalism, it's just dysfunctionality, social dysfunctionality. Yeah. Okay, what happened was that after the Second World War, American pop culture and television started celebrating the teenager. Mm -hmm. It's the 1950s, right? Yeah. That then spread across the world and people tried to be prolonged teenagers. It's like people try to stay teenagers their entire lives and never grow up. Yeah. It's like adolescence which is like the idea is to keep the sex drive keep your gentle organs keep the grown-up body but keep it beautiful forever never let it age and never have to grow up and be a full grown-up human being and deny you're ever gonna die okay that's the american teenage ideal it's the ultimate form of Cartesianism. the yeah. ultimate form of Cartesianism. that then spread and then the internet came along in the 1990s and of course all these children in grown-up bodies that our societies are full of thought the internet was for them it's my turn to be discovered. It's my turn to walk up on the stage. It's my turn to be sexually adored. It's my turn to get, you know, and, and, and the youthful sexualized body was idealized and wisdom disappeared completely. 
Wisdom was out the window. No, wisdom is not cool anymore. We're all doing youth now. We're all doing sex now. We're all fucking like mad. We, we, f we fuck around. We take tons of drugs. We do all these libertine things. Okay. Yeah. That was the libertine things that were meant to be shamanic only for the few suddenly fell into the mainstream. And the result of that was an infantilized society. And this is the key word in digital libido is that mm -hmm. we call it infantilization that's exactly mm -hmm. the state of current society when you say that americans have an obesity epidemic no there's no obesity epidemic in america there's just tons of kids who can't stop eating because they're children and they want to tit in their mouth all the time eat eat just stop eating an epidemic is over right they can't because they're children so we arrived at that and now people think the internet is going to promote this infantilization and all they do is share pictures of themselves looking as great as possible and then they put on mechanisms on their smartphones to look better than they actually look meaning every damn picture people see is a false picture we live in a complete sexualized fairy tale what it means mm. to be human yeah. it's sexualized fairy tale yeah that's well put the mm. sexualized fairy tale it's the adolescence taken to its extreme. It's called Peter Pan syndrome. Mm -hmm. Meaning you want to go into adulthood and steal what your grown-ups have, which is, of course, the grown-up genitals. So you can mm -hmm. have a sex life that grown-ups do. You want to steal that, but still be a child with everything else. Mm -hmm. And you build the welfare state, we build consumer society on everything like this. And capitalism, of course, exploited. And this essentially is what capitalism is. Capitalism arrives at a state of infantilized mass schizophrenia. So we're back to Marx. We're talking about exploitation, yeah. right? We're just talking about exploitation, yeah. like pure exploitation. exploitation, exploitation. It's exploitation of this youth, right? There's, which is the most yeah. sort of. And, and a society where everybody believes they have to exploit everything they run into instead of employing it, means they don't understand tantra, which is exploitation. They don't mm. understand asha over joy, which is again employtation over exploitation. It's just like grab whatever you can grab, you can grab it. Well, that's a child's attitude to life. As a grown-up, I study something. I check out if somebody owns this. Then I check out maybe if I can share it with somebody. Oh, oh, you own this property? What if I rent this property from you and build something on it? Somebody, yeah, why don't you do that? We do something together. Okay, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Okay, mm -hmm. Meaning, it, what means to be human is to be a collaborator, not a competitor. It means to be grown-up, not a child. It means to be a fully grown-up, not a adolescent. It means to be your, your grown-up person taking responsibility for life. Jordan is right about that. Camille Pagos is right about that. What they don't talk about is where this grown-up person is going to go. Mm -hmm. And you're no saying it's going to go towards a, a more communist society, perhaps, just on its own, or more communal no. society. No? Well, no. it's going to go towards netocracy first, meaning some people get it. They will get ahead of everybody else because they get it. They will create the thriving communities that will then lead. That's why I go to Burning Man, because a place like Burning Man, that's where people go these days. That's where the cultural engineers of the future go. Because in the foreseeable future, if you're somewhere between Las Vegas and San Francisco mentally, you'll do okay in America. Same thing everywhere else. The cultural engineer comes down. Mm -hmm. The therapeutes come down. It's just like, uh, we have to reorient what it means to be human and get that right. But we also need a direction. And that direction, the name of that direction is intertribalism. And intertribalism is the hardest thing ever. And the priests have always known that this was the hardest thing to do. From tribe to clan, from clan to nation, were very, very hard steps to take. Bloody developments took hundreds of years or thousands of years. Enormous amounts of imagination and storytelling and narratives and things to finally get it right. To finally have fewer wars and longer periods mm -hmm. of peace.
-hmm. We have to do that all over again. And I don't think we cannot do it this time. We cannot go from nation to empire unless we take help from the machines. And I study Aristotle now. I study Alexander the Great's empire. I studied the Persian empire. I studied the loosely held confederations that worked over time. They were not totalitarian. And see how they worked and why they worked. We need to study the trade routes again. We need to study who did something similar previously in history and succeeded on a smaller scale. Can we do it now on a larger scale with the help of the machines? Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you and I have retaken God and religion and the word communism. And we've literally done it before the Shishi Peterson debate in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Everything else trickles down from the grand narrative, mm -hmm. from the Exodus. That's exactly what the grand narratives are for. The communist utopia is not about perfection. That would be oh, okay. that's very, very important. That's, that's so important, yeah. yeah. You have a starting point, it's called causality. Where do we come from? Mm -hmm. And you have an end point, the God point. Where are we going? And it might take thousands of years to get there, millions of years to get there, but we have a point. We have a direction. Because we have a direction, we can make decisions about everything we do today. We can have a functioning ethics in contemporary society because it comes down, trickles down from the grand narrative. That is exactly why religion is so damn important. Mm 